This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, the rules and restrictions around COVID always involve a balance between the science and the politics. And for the most part here in Ontario, I would say that the science has held sway. But now it looks like that is reversing as we face massive disruptive protests and there is widespread COVID fatigue, not to mention that vaccination hasn't stopped the spread of Omicron, though it does protect against severe disease. Now, a number of provinces, notably Saskatchewan, Alberta, and even Quebec, are taking the lead in lifting restrictions. As of today, you don't need a vaccine passport in Alberta. Saskatchewan will follow suit next Monday. But what does the science say? I'm joined by Dr. Peter Uni, Scientific Director of the province's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Uh, welcome. Thanks for being here, Dr. Uni. Thanks for having me again. Hi, Luke. So what does the science say? Are we ready to get rid of all these restrictions? Uh, the science says we should take it slow and steady. We're on the right track. We have a roadmap. And probably we uh, can follow the roadmap, including the timing. We're not quite sure yet. Why do I say that? Um, we opened up um, on 31st of January. And if you go to our dashboard and look at the wastewater signal, you see that the wastewater signal going downwards before immediately plateaued on the 31st of January. And it's now at the level roughly that we were on the 20th of December. That's not a good level. The 20th of December was when uh, Omicron was spreading like wildfire. You're right. But, you know, there were a lot of things happening since then. 4.7 million people got their third shot. And roughly, we don't know that exactly, but we estimate that roughly 3 to 3.5 million people got infected. All of that gives a lot of uh, background immunity. And I disagree with your statement before regarding uh, protection against infection. If people have had their third dose recently or recently a second dose, they continue to be protected actually pretty well against infection too. This means all of that will help us to slow down what's coming. But we just now need to figure out very carefully during the next week or 10 days whether the wastewater signal and test positivity stay flat or whether they start to go up again and if they go up by how much so that we're able to predict whether a rebound actually is challenging for the healthcare system in March or whether the rebound is just, you know, another rebound that just is a small wave and we will be good to go anyway. So we just need to wait and see for the next few days and not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, I said that, by the way, at, at least anecdotally, I know quite a few people who've had uh, second and third shots who became infected with symptoms, though not severe disease. That's true. It reduces your risk probably about by 60% to get infected, which is still much better than what we had uh, in December when it exploded so much. Second doses enough. Uh, you know, uh, second doses weren't enough if, if we were longer than two to three months after the second dose. And now we still see, you know, if this risk is actually more than half, this makes a difference. And then we have a lot of people who have additional layers of protection indeed because they got infected. That's the future here we're talking about. You know, people who won't, um, uh, who weren't in, uh, vaccinated in the past, they will still struggle typically. We see that now. So for instance, in the U.S., that uh, they have a lot of people infected, probably more than 75% of the unvaccinated, and they continue to have a worse prognosis regarding hospital and ICU admission and death than those who have received at least two doses. So what we will see is over time now, when we now move you know, into the next uh, phase of the pandemic, that the people just will get their immune system more robust established against COVID, 
by a combination of either just vaccines, you know, the third dose makes a tremendous difference, or vaccines and infections. And that's what we're seeing. And what I hope is that we will be able soon, especially if we also get other vaccines, to convince more people to get vaccinated so that, that they can protect themselves. Uh, I want to just uh, refresh people's memories on, on how checking the wastewater works. Yes. So basically, three times a week, typically in, uh, in uh, 101 locations right now in the province, uh, people go there and they sample. Um, that's uh, basically uh, 24 hours automatic samplers, the wastewater in wastewater treatment plants. And then the, this, uh, this wastewater will be processed, you know, by university labs right now. It's many university labs in the entire province contributing to that. And then they do something very similar to what you're doing when you do a, a regular PCR test for a clinical sampling. They just do that for wastewater. And uh, these signals are uh, co- uh, collected, these analyses, the concentrations are collected by the Ministry of the Environment. And uh, we have access to that and we then summarize that to have a representative signal for the entire province. And we'll very soon also start to show that now for the regions, you know, just not only the province in its entirety, but also the different regions such as GTA uh, and uh, the Southwest separately. We are seeing other provinces remove restrictions. Uh, uh, notably, as of today in Alberta, you don't need a vaccine passport. And certainly, uh, speaking for myself and, and a lot of people that I know, just starting to say, go back to a restaurant where you take your mask off, you know, it's one thing where you know everybody there is vaccinated, but do you think that's safe? Well, no, it's not. Of course not. But to be honest with you, right now, we need to be aware of that. But the only thing that would make um, restaurants safer is if we had a vaccine certificate system with three doses. And that's very challenging right now for various reasons. Also, for instance, because there are now people out there quite a lot who have had two doses plus uh, Omicron. And this, again, gives additional protection. So things get a bit wonky right now. Why do you say say that uh, if if the vaccine passport, if fully vaccinated was three doses, that would be better? Because this uh, results in a decreased risk. Uh, of infection and transmission to others. That's, that's again, what I said before. If you have had a th- third dose recently, but also if you had two doses plus now an Omicron infection, you're better protected against getting reinfected or infected than somebody who has just two doses or one or no dose at all. <laughs> what, what about if you had three doses and an infection? Oh, that sounds great <laughs> in terms of immunity. <laughs> Um, it, it will all help, of course. But that's the point. You know, things get a bit cloudy right now. So we need to be aware of that. We will have a mix of people out there in the restaurants. However, we also have to say, you know, we now reached uh, 55% of the population 18 plus with three doses. So it's not completely unsafe. And now the question is, does it make a big difference somewhere in the future when we then drop certificates? It probably won't anymore in a few weeks from now. Right now, we just need to be careful, as I told you before, since we just reached this, this, you know, bottom of the valley, this plateau with the wastewater signal. We just first need to know before we lift more restrictions, does it hold? Does it go up a bit, but not that much? Or does it go up steeply? I do not believe it will happen that it go up, that it goes up steeply again, but we need to make sure that this is true because we didn't, you know, ascertain properly the cases of uh, of COVID anymore during the last few weeks. We couldn't. This means we have a bit more of a blind flight than before. And wastewater and test positivity gives us some navigation. And we just now need to wait a few days to see how this goes. Well, what is the test positivity now? Right now, let me just check as of today, if we go to our dashboard, it's at 13%. Um, and uh, a seven-day average predicted for today. So it's uh, it's it's basically slowing down. You know, it went down quite dramatically, and now we probably will, you know, be somewhere at twelve percent. That will be the steady state. And then the question is, does test positivity go up again soon? Uh, uh, one question before I take a couple of calls. Uh, so. If you've had it, if you've been vaccinated, what are the chances of getting it again? So 
Well, if if you have been vaccinated and have uh, have had an infection with Omicron, well, what is the question? If you have uh, been yeah. vaccinated with two doses and now you have uh, have had Omicron right now, yeah, um, we don't know for sure right now. It's probably relatively infrequent, short term, but we don't know when when this will uh, you know creep back in. Remember, Omicron is really able to. Um, undermine uh, and evade the immune system, meaning once our antibodies start to go down again, it just can reinfect you. But it's relatively safe to assume that, you know, during the first two months or so, that things will look okay. But uh, to be honest, we're not quite sure yet about about that. Uh, The only thing we're pretty sure about is if you just have had an infection before, even if it was Delta, and then you have uh, Omicron on top of that, or just, you know, uh, now a first Omicron infection, your protection is not good. Okay, I'm going to take a question from Daryl. Hi, Daryl. Hi there. Dr. Uni, I want to thank you for all the information you give out and the work that you're doing. My question is, I had my third vaccination back December the 13th, and I was just wondering how long it is before that, protection starts to wane. I'd heard something before about 25 days, and I'm just wondering what the current thoughts are. And is there any warrant in getting a fourth dose? No, right now. So, again, it depends on what we're talking about. If we talk about serious outcomes, such as hospital admission, ICU admission, or death, your third dose basically increases the protection quite tremendously. So it further reduces your risk of experiencing an unfavorable outcome on average fivefold. Fivefold decrease in the risk of ending up in hospital, for example. That's the great news. Um, Regarding infection, it's not quite clear yet where we will be going, you know, because this is all relatively recent and recently happening, but it's it's, uh, safe to assume that, you know, for the first three months or so, you have reasonable protection. But remember, the protection against Omicron if it comes to infection is only about 60%, you know, so it's nearly a 50-50. So it's not the same anymore than what you had against Delta or Alpha as the previous variants. So it's just, you know, if it, depending on the situation you're in, etc., it's just about being a bit more careful, but also being confident. Yes, you know, I have good protection, if I don't have an immuno, uh, you know, immunocompromised system or so, I have really good protection against serious outcomes, and that's the most important part here. Okay, uh, let's go to James in Etobicoke. Hi, James. What's your question? Well, hi. My question was um, about the rapid tests that are going to be distributed. I've heard that they do give a lot of uh, false negatives, and uh, also I've heard that you know they have to be done properly, and I'm just wondering. If we feel that in the short term, if the public's up to it to actually administer the test themselves on an efficacy basis and, and get, a, yes. get, a, get a real result. Yes, that's a really good question. So first of all, we just posted on, on our YouTube channel an instructional video how to do rapid tests properly now with Omicron. And this afternoon, I'm not quite sure when we will post um, our science brief on uh, rapid tests uh, uh, in the presence of Omicron, basically. And uh, you will be able to find on our website and also the link to the instructional video that allows you to understand how to do it properly. Uh, what's that? What's that? Uh, what is that website, Dr. Uni? Um, when you just uh, go then, if you just Google um, um, Ontario Science Table, okay. you can go to our website and then you will find just on top this evening or so, a brief on rapid testing, and that there will also be the link to the YouTube video. Then and that should do be they there. Tend to give false negatives. Yeah, it's a problem. So, especially um, if you just do the rapid test in your nose, then at the beginning of the infection, it could well be a false negative. And one possibility to deal with this is to combine that and just actually use. Um, the swab in your mouth first and then in your nose, and the video will show you how to do that. Okay, oh, I was going to ask about that uh, because uh, the word on the rapid test was they're very good if you're symptomatic, but if it's before you're symptomatic, not so much. 
This is actually true again. Um, uh, during the first 48 hours or so, after the after the PCR test could become positive, that's just not ideal. Therefore, that's the other part. If they stay negative, don't just believe a single negative test, but repeat it. If you have two negative tests, uh, you get a bit more confident that it's actually true. And the good spacing between the first and the second negative test is 48 hours. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and I'm glad to hear you put a video out. Uh, you know, here, uh, I was just distributing some tests and I didn't like their video. So hopefully you have a better one. Oh, you can tell me then what you think. <laughs> it was an interesting experience to produce it, I can tell you. Okay. I look forward to watching it. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, thanks for your question, James. And thank you so much, Dr. Peter Uni. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about what is going on in Ottawa, at the Ambassador Bridge, in the Liberal Party, all of that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, this just in. Police say they are closing Queen's Park Circle effective immediately in response to a number of social media posts re- regarding a potential demonstration involving a large number of vehicles. Now, meanwhile, in Ottawa, it's day 13 of the protest slash siege which is still wreaking havoc on the lives and businesses of residents. And the Ambassador Bridge is still blocked coming into Canada, a blockade that is costing millions in trade. Yesterday, a prominent Quebec Liberal MP broke ranks with Justin Trudeau and got positive reviews for his action. Joël Lightbound stepped down as head of the Quebec caucus. He said that there has to be a different approach in easing restrictions in dealing with people who disagree. And he said others in the caucus agree with him that the prime minister has been divisive, but uh, they're afraid to come forward. Uh, Then there's some very interesting commentary. Mark Carney, the former head of both the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England, touted as a potential prime minister in waiting has called this sedition, sedition. And he's called on authorities to, quote, enforce the law and follow the money. And their editorial saying Trudeau has to prove he can lead in a crisis. And one prominent academic likening this to the October crisis, which Trudeau pair handled with an iron fist. So, numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Do you think this is like the October crisis? That, of course, was precipitated by the murder of Pierre Laporte by the FLQ. So, um, that's one difference there. But, Never mind what I'm saying about it. Let's go to Bob Richardson, a liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations, and David Tarrant, a conservative strategist and vice president of national strategic communications at Enterprise. Thanks so much for being with us. Hi. Hello, Libby. Okay. Let us start with the liberal Bob. Uh, Much is being made by this statement by Joelle Lightbound. Uh, how serious is it? Is it a crisis in the party? Uh, no, uh, I would say that that is rather o- over-the-top Ottawa thinking. If I, uh, uh, This is one of 160 MPs. And by the way, I happen to agree with uh, quite a bit of what Mr. Uh, Lightbound had to say, too, as well. I think it is time for us to be moving on, uh, on mandates. I think, uh, quite frankly, the government and the prime minister are too slow. I would like to see the Prime Minister give a speech in the next week outlining um, <clears throat> how the government sort of winds things down uh, over over the next uh, over the next uh, sixty days, um, and, you know, as it relates to to the pandemic. So uh, I think he made a number of points that are uh, correct. He represents, I will say, Louis Hébert, a riding in uh, uh, Quebec City that is fairly conservative. 
has voted for all four parties in the last period of time. So I think this isn't without keeping an eye on the local scene. Um, but uh, I, you know, and I think it's also healthy to have members of parliament expressing their views. This happens in legislatures and parliaments throughout the world when people express their views that are not consistent with their party. Somehow or other, we've allowed this to be uh, not be the case in our country, both under Stephen Harper and Justin Trudeau. I think it's wrong in both cases. I'm glad Mr. Lightbound spoke. Hmm. Uh, David Tarrant, a lot of criticism of the prime minister. Uh, is he showing correct leadership in the face of what's going on in Ottawa? Listen, I'm a, I'm a critic of the prime minister Trudeau and a lot of things. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, I think that the big mistakes they've made in terms of, of the kind of the, uh, the occupation that's taking place in, in, in Ottawa right now is, is, they, un- they clearly underestimated going in. Uh, they didn't have a plan to deal with it. And by the time the kind of they, they moved around and reacted to it, um, you know, it, it was too late. And, and so, I mean, there is, there's a confidence issue there as much as anything. Uh, um, you know, I, I would say just the one thing on what, what Bob said, I think is important is, is that what, what Mr. Lightbound said is, was a critique of government policy on things like mandates. Which is you know fair game for for a debate in terms of in terms of uh, when they should be lifted or, or should not lifted, but quite but I think equally importantly he expressed the remarkable part of the statement. Uh, 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 he was disturbed by the tone that the government taken uh, since the election, where a, for a political gain they have kind of relished the opportunity to demonize and divide Canadians, and that more so than the policy critique was what the most remarkable thing about Mr. Lightbound's statement. That he was finding disquieting, the, the the how the prime minister was was almost gleefully targeting other Canadians for political purposes. And I think that's the most important part of his critique. Yeah. Uh, then uh, on the other hand, Bob, uh, yes, uh, people really responded to that. But then again, when you look at the leaders in that convoy, it looks like something uh, that we haven't really seen here. Yeah, first of all, we should not be dealing with uh, the leaders in that convoy. It's ridiculous. They're not, they're, uh, not elected officials and it's, and it's a bit of a Yahoo festival. And it, and it's not, and let's also remember, we, we always start these discussions, um, in the media and we forget to remind ourselves that 90% of our truckers are vaccinated, that the official, uh, association of truckers condemns what is going on now. This is a bit of a Yahoo operation. And I don't think the government of Canada should be held hostage for it or anyone else. This became a hostage-taking because, quite frankly, we had a sleepy police force in Ottawa who allowed this to get set up, and that's been disaster number one. And then uh, disassembling it is, is a lot more difficult. And I think the federal government was too slow getting help to, uh, to, uh, to, the, uh, to the city of Ottawa to deal with it. And the province is, appears to have been abdicated its responsibility. I mean, has anyone heard the name of the Solicitor General of Ontario once in this entire discussion in the last 10 days? No, you have not. So, I mean, I don't think any government is covering themselves with glory right now. Uh, what we need to do is enforce the laws, clean this up, uh, and, uh, and also have a clearly articulated path to end mandates and move forward on the corona issue. Um, City of Toronto looks pretty good, I must say. And they really do, actually. (laughs) I must say, in all of this, okay, so clearly uh, there was a big fail on the part of the police, but uh, Bob, I mean, the the Prime Minister, you know, the critique says he's he's been hiding, and, uh, you know, the the response, frankly, looks it looks a little namby-pamby. Nobody wants to get tough with these people. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not defending any of the three governments. You've got the premier in hiding. You've got the prime minister having COVID, who came out late, in my opinion. And, and then you have uh, the uh, police chief in Ottawa literally being absurd in, in a number of the pronouncements that he, uh, that he has made. And they have, been, uh, they have not done a great job. So government in general or the public sector in general, whatever you want to call it, has not covered itself in glory in the last 13 days. 
David Tarrant, do you think it's sedition and how tough do you think uh, whatever level of government should be to deal with this? Uh, I think Mr. Kearney's term sedition is a bit much, although actually I don't know if Bob and I agree with much. I think the term Yahoo is not an un, unfair one. There's a, it, this is a chaotic, disorganized group of people who do uh, have or don't have a whole lot of interest in, in understanding exactly uh, you know how Canada actually operates, and there's a lot of and and, and you know they, they seem to be operating on a on a to be kind to them a very different wavelength than, than the world the rest of us live in. I mean, you mentioned Libya at the top, the Ambassador Bridge situation. Uh, I mean, I find the irony remarkable that the kind of this convoy was ostensibly launched in the first place out of concern for cross border trade and the fact that the mandate to shut down cross border trade, which for the rest of us meant you know, supply chains and empty shelves. And it's more from a point of time where they actually people are physically shutting down a border crossing uh, as, as the thing has mutated. They seem to forget kind of where we were a few weeks ago when this thing when this thing launched. So it just shows how disorganized and out of touch the organizers are. And uh, and and so I agree with that. But I, I will say this though, like you know, if you if if if, if you're you know, Mark Carney trying to score points uh, about uh, with, with say a, a particular group of progressive voters. Uh, it's fun to call the disaccusable sedition or treason and, and maybe do some fantasy fulfillment about maybe the prime minister should order the troops in, or maybe we should call a state of emergency at the Ontario Liberal leader. And, and you, you can hear them sneaking. Why doesn't the someone, leader so-and-so just call in the cops and stick the cops on them? Now, Libby, you've been around, and, and, and you've, you've, you've covered a, a lot of news, and I know Bob's been around. We've been conditioned across a whole lot of protests in the past you remember that politicians don't direct police, right? Politicians, the job, in fact, it's it's it, it, it's a cardinal kind of third rail. Like it's yep. not the, when the premier or the prime minister says ordering the cops, you arrest that person or attack that person. Well, then you're not really much of a democracy anymore. Um, so I think the role for all of the politicians is to go to the police and say, what do you need to enforce the law? Uh, give them the tools they need, and then the operational decisions about how to enforce. Uh, is left to the cops. And I agree, Bob, one other thing. The fundamental failure here is Ottawa police, right? I mean, I mean, it's not the role of, of, of Doug Ford or Justin Trudeau or Jim Watson to say, you go in there with the bulldozer and your shotguns and, take, and pepper spray and take these guys down. But the police should have had a contingency, and they failed. And I think, I, I think it's unhelpful for people to expect, just because this group are very unpopular, that politicians all of a sudden get a green light to direct the police. That's not their job. Right, but the the Ambassador Bridge. I mean, that's not the fault of slowly. No, oh no, it, 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 that's exactly it. Like you know, I think uh, I think across all these, whether you're talking about in, in Coote, Alberta or in any other, uh, in a, you mentioned that the, the 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 activities of Queens Park Circle in Toronto, and and I mean, I think you're, I think you and Bob are both exactly right. Toronto, as an example, internalized lessons from 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 uh, from Ottawa and said, we're not going to let this happen. We're not going to let this happen, and we're going to take steps in advance to keep the, to keep a protest from becoming an occupation. And I think Toronto looks pretty darn good. Um, and so where breakdowns of enforcing the law occurs, well, it's the police's job to do that. Um, for a politician to say, why don't you arrest this person, or why don't you drive some the bulldozers after that barricade, uh, that's a very slippery slope. Right? The, these decisions should be left to the police. And politicians' job is to say, do you have the resources you need? Um, and, and you know, I, I hope that all levels of government are actually having those conversations. Well, yeah, it doesn't, uh, it, that doesn't, uh, <laughs> that doesn't provide any kind of detail on how we might get out of this. I mean, Bob, we've, we've heard that tow trucks don't want to tow these rigs and they're getting these incredible vast sums of money. Uh, from these sources, I mean, who knows even what they are? They look to be foreign sources. They raised $10 million on GoFundMe. That's unheard of, even though that money is not being distributed. They moved to uh, another Christian service that raised $3 million over the weekend. Now I'm hearing about Bitcoin grillionaires uh, putting money to this. I mean, how do you get them to stop? Bob. Well, look, uh, number one, and I think it comes back to something David said, we need to enforce the laws. 
The number one thing we need to do is double, triple, quadruple the number of police down there and enforce the laws. Uh, And no more bringing in jerry cans, no more setting up foods, no more bouncy castles on streets, none of this nonsense that should never have been allowed to happen. We need to enforce the laws and get moving. If there's kids in those trucks, we've got to find safe space for the kids and do that. If we have to take over a hotel, do it. But we need to clean this thing up, clean this thing out, and get it moved. That should be rule number one. And everything else is, quite frankly, noise at this point. That's what needs to happen in order to uh, in order to uh, get going. And quite frankly, the same thing on the Ambassador Bridge, too, as well. Uh, we can't allow a, a bridge like that to be held hostage by goons for uh, for uh, for political purposes, and it doesn't seem to be for trucking purposes in this case. Uh, so you know, we just can't allow this to, to to continue on, and we need to get tough about it. And someone needs to get tough uh, tough about it. It's not going to happen by having a jurisdictional tea party between the three governments. Okay, but uh, you know when you talk when people talk about enforcement, right? They're talking about ticketing. I mean, the, these guys don't care if they get a ticket. And like I said, the tow truck drivers don't want to get in the middle of this, so they're not going to be towed away. Uh, I was surprised that they actually stopped honking their horns when there was an injunction, but apparently uh, one of their leaders, Pat King, uh, who has a kind of racist history, told them to stop honking the horns. David. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be, uh, if there was an easy solution to this, Libby, yeah. uh, it would have been implemented already, <clears throat> right? Um, uh, I agree, Bob, the laws need to be enforced. Unfortunately, people, again, who are, you know, fantasizing about, you know, listen to A-team in here with really aggressive action, um, you know, um, it, it like it's made me trying to calm people down during the, 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 the idle no more rail blockade. I'm like, Guys, do someone really expect that you're going to send the police or the military in to, to go after uh, people who are protesting for indigenous rights? Like, do you realize how that would look? And do you realize, well, look, if they sent the police into this occupation and all of a sudden people are being pepper sprayed or billy clubbed or heaven forbid, it got out of hand and got really violent and someone got hurt or killed, the police have the way to calculate. And you might, you might think these people are the most loathsome people in the world, and some of them actually are the most loathsome people in the world. Not all of them, but some of them are, are, are people. A lot of them are just, quite frankly, weird. Um, yeah. But, but we should be careful about people saying, like, you know, super aggressive, super aggressive police action that leads to violence um, uh, is, is not a decision to be taken lightly. Um, I do agree. And you touched on something earlier, Libby, that I think is really important. Um, I believe that the amount of money from dark and sketchy sources that's flowing into the protest is problematic. And I think that's a place where, quite frankly, you can have aggressive enforcement because you need to find a way to shut down these people's funding. I think, you know, uh, Bob made a point earlier, like the ability for people to, to, to meander through downtown Canada with jerry cans full of, full of gas uh, to supply it. Like, you need to shut down those supply lines. You didn't make it as hard as possible for these protests to operate, as make it as uncomfortable as possible for these people to stay on site uh, and, 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 and let the thing and find, use every possible tool you can to find a way to shut this thing down without actually widespread state violence. But it's very easy to grandstand and say, oh, government should do more. The government should send the police in. Well, you know, I, I'm just, you know, having worked in government, I just say it's a pretty weighty situation when you're talking about why don't we engage in widespread police action and, and break out the pepper spray and billy clubs and, 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 and take these people down. Um, you know, that's not a decision anybody should take lightly. Hmm. I'm going to take a couple of calls. Uh, just one note on the fuel. Uh, they were... Uh, on video, bringing more fuel in just as authorities were announcing that they they have prevented fuel from coming in. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, let's start with Nelson and Strathroy. Hi, Nelson. Good afternoon, Lily. How are you this afternoon? Fine. Go ahead. You're on the air. Um, we were mentioning on the news, I think last night or the night before, that they have their kids as well with them in their trucks, so you can't even do aggressive police action. 
So who in their right mind would they take their kids to a demonstration? Uh, apparently 25% of these truckers. <laughs> like, uh, and the one thing that I find... Shouldn't the kids is, be in school? <laughs> Isn't well, there a law about know, that? We don't know what, what age their kids are either. Yeah, true. The, the one the one point I was also going to state is that they're talking about freedoms that they, they want to put it out for, for mandates and vaccines. And around the world that all these countries are against it. Uh, if they listen to the news worldwide, there's one country that a lot of people look up to, from what I understand, and, the, and hopefully you can fact-check on this one for me. Austria recently uh, made it mandatory for anyone over 18 uh, had to be vaccinated. And within a couple months' time, like in the summertime, the authorities have the authorization to go to their citizens and check if they are vaccinated. And if they are not, they can be fined up to 600 euros. Uh, Yeah, they had uh, some pretty stiff rules there. Nelson, thanks for your call. Let's go to Trevor and Fergus. Hi, Trevor. Hello, thanks for taking my call. Go ahead. That's that's that last caller. That was funny. I mean, just talking about Austria, that sounds like World War II to me. Um, the reason I'm calling is I want to talk about we, everyone on, on your show seems to have the same opinion about how to deal with these truckers. And it all seems about bringing in the police or bringing in the army, start busting heads, pepper spray. It all sounds crazy to me when all these guys want to do. Is they talk they to just the said minister. no to those things. But anyway, go ahead. No, I heard a lady on the phone yesterday said oh, OK, those were her words. But anyway, um, why doesn't the prime minister just meet with this group and come up with a plan? Okay, you know what? I will put that question to Bob. Bob, why doesn't the Prime Minister just meet with these guys? Because they're a bunch of goons that he should not be meeting with, period, full stop. (laughs) Who are these people? When did they get elected? And when were they given the powers to hold uh, the country up? We have, uh, we elect people to Parliament. We have governments. Um, they, uh, they, uh, They are there for a purpose. And I don't care which party is in power. Um, but we don't allow ourselves to be held, uh, held uh, hostage by people who come into Ottawa, uh, take over, break the laws, and then say that they're one of their key purposes of being in Ottawa is to overthrow the government and set up a new government. That is why you do not meet with them ever. David Tarrant, should the prime minister meet with them? I mean, Libby, I, I hope one thing that comes clear in what I'm saying to you today is I'm not carrying water for these protesters. They're a bunch of, uh, there are either a bunch of weirdos who are kind of out of touch, some of the men, or, or there's some very dark elements in terms of some of the more extreme elements among them. Um, you know, the fact that they are openly advocating for like some sort of constitutional coup with the governor general, like Bob said, or dissolving the government, everyone stepping down. Well, it's kind of hard to put in good faith and for the prime minister to say, oh yeah, sure, I'll talk to you guys. You know, there's, you know, there's an, there's about a hundred trailers with, you know, F blank Trudeau on outside the uh, outside Parliament. I'm sure you guys want to talk to me in good faith. So I, I have some sympathy there. I, I will say that's a decision, though. Like, be clear, it's not like there's no precedent. Governments meet with protesters all the time. Big protest occurs. Government decides to meet the protest. Like that's not that's not uh, some miracle. You know, be the first time ever in Canadian history that's happened. Um, but I will say, like you say, I'm I'm often very critical of this prime minister. Uh, if people are camped outside my office with, you know, F blank David, uh, you know, uh, uh, and calling for me to to be tried for treason and executed and all kinds of wild stuff that they're floating around there, maybe I'm saying maybe they're not actually interested in talking in good faith. So, I, you know, uh, I, 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 I do sympathize with the prime minister a little bit on that front. Uh, so while we're back talking to you guys, Bob, what about Pierre Polyevre, uh making nice with these protesters and declaring against candidacy and uh, also uh, the interim opposition leader? Well, look, I mean, I think uh, that says more about the state of where those guys are at the moment. And they're also into a very highly political and highly focused stage. They're about to do a leadership. Um, so I think uh, candidates for leaderships are always focused on who's going to vote. If it was a liberal leadership, they might be focused a little bit more on the some of the left-wing elements of the Liberal Party uh, that can get out 
uh, a large number of voters or a grouping in the Liberal Party, like, let's say, some of the teachers unions or things like that. So I think we're seeing that in the Conservative Party right now. Uh, I don't particularly like it. I don't think it's a good look for them. And I don't think it's good for democracy or parliament right now. But uh, look, um, I'm, I'm also uh, not a babe in the woods. And I understand that, uh, that they're into a highly political phase. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap things up. People who are waiting, uh, we may even talk about this as early as tomorrow. Uh, but if not, Free For All Friday is coming up, and I'm going to give the last 20 seconds or so to David Tarrant. Yeah, thanks, Libby. I'd say, uh, you know, you look at what's happened with, with Mr. Polliver, uh, Polliever and the, and the other potential leadership candidates for, for conservatives. There's a tip of the iceberg effect here. The tip of the iceberg, the people who are actually in Ottawa in the protest are, you know, they're, they're, they're the extreme and they're the people who are acting unacceptably and so on and so forth. But you also know there's a lot of deep frustration pent up by a lot of people across the country who are sympathized with the protesters. And when you see kind of people kind of sympathizing with the goals of the protest without kind of embracing some of the crazier elements, they're speaking to that segment of the population. So, I mean, there is, there is something there. Okay. Um, this thing, uh, hopefully, I, I was about to say it isn't going away. Uh, I hope it is going away, <laughs> but it probably isn't, and I'm sure we will be talking about this again very soon. Thank you so much, David Tarrant and Bob Richardson. Thanks, everybody. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking to the Ontario opposition leader, Andrea Horvath. She has some ideas on how to end this, as well as on some other big, important issues in the province when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now I'd like to welcome Ontario Opposition Leader Andrea Horvath. She has some ideas for ending the truckers' convoy. And unlike some of what we've been hearing, her plan involves action from the province as opposed to Ottawa or the municipality or other areas. She also has an interesting take on yesterday's news from the Financial Accountability Office, which projects lower deficits. And this as the progressive conservative government is expected to deliver a budget as early as next month, the last budget before we go to the polls. Welcome, Andrea Horvath, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Libby. Nice to hear your voice uh, through a phone instead of through the radio. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been a while, and congratulations. You were reaffirmed as the leader of your party last weekend. Thank you so much. I was uh, thrilled with uh, the turnout and the engagement and, of course, the uh, vote of confidence. So uh, what is your thought about ending these protests slash siege? Well, I, I asked my team uh, last week, early last week, to start digging through what can the province do. I mean, what are the things the province can do uh, other than respond to requests from the city of Ottawa or other uh, other players? And and one of the things that uh, I had said to them is, uh, you know, what about the fact that these these places are these you know these cars, these vehicles, these drivers are licensed in Ontario. Uh, so, is there something that we can do to tie their uh, their refusal to leave uh, to their uh, ability to hold a license in the province. And so, of course, the, uh, you may have seen the team, my team kind of did that work and, and found that, in fact, in the Highway Traffic Act, uh, the government can cancel the driver's license or the plates or the commercial vehicle uh, operating certificates of, uh, of people who are ignoring uh, existing existing laws, or you know, frankly, f- for any other reason, um, I've called a number of folks in Ottawa. I've spoken to uh, people there, including uh, policing folks, and uh, and including representatives, and and they're saying the same things, which is these folks need to have consequences for their actions, uh, and this would be a pretty huge consequence if you don't leave by a certain time or date, you will not be able to be licensed again in Ontario. Uh, I'm just wondering because you look around at what's happening and they don't seem to care about consequences or the threat of consequences that the rest of us care about. Uh, you know, what, what makes you think they would care about this or they would hesitate 
to drive with their pulled license or challenge it or anything sure. like that? Sure. Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, we know that there was a, a court injunction against the honking. Uh, and that seemed to dissipate. I, I don't, I can't tell you what, whether they were honking last night, because frankly, I didn't uh, tune in uh, to see if they were or they weren't. But, but the, uh, the injunction was uh, somewhat successful, uh, which means that they understand that there are consequences to their actions. Uh, and they, they at least, you know, acknowledge that in, in, in that regard. H- having said so, uh, having said that though, the, 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 the consequence of, of no longer being able to be a driver in Ontario, that's pretty significant. Uh, no longer being able to uh, drive uh, rig, for example, these small, small, small group of folks who who are there still causing the trouble that they're causing. Uh, that uh, that's a pretty serious consequence, and I think that uh, the consequences that, uh, that people of Ottawa are facing right now for for over two weeks now, or almost two weeks now, is uh, it has have been quite serious as well. Um, you know, there's a difference between having your voice heard and expecting to uh, show up and not go away until the government changes its mind on something. I mean, that's that's not how democracy works. Uh, we know the hateful symbols that they're they're flying uh, flying around with on their flags, uh, whether it's uh, you know whether it's uh, swastikas, whether it's Confederate flags. Uh, these things are hurtful, they're painful, and they're ugly. And the behavior has been ugly, uh, not from everybody, granted, uh, but from some. And uh, it's time for these folks to go home, and it's time for our premier to take a stand, to what show you, up and take a stand. What do you think of what he's done so far? He's been very clear that he wants them to go home, and we've just heard from a couple of commentators talking about the very slippery slope and danger of being seen to direct the police. So what do you think of Ford on this so far? Well, I, I'm not all that impressed. I think he's trying to, to stride, uh, straddle both sides of the, of the issue here. I, I think on the one hand, He's saying, you know, God bless, I love truckers. On the other hand, he's saying, but I believe in vaccines. That's just not good enough. That doesn't cut it. And the, and the idea that, uh, that the powers that are provided in the uh, tra- Highway Traffic Act, they're, they're not police powers. These are administrative powers. Uh, they can be undertaken and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and, and put together uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and put in place by the um by the deputy minister of transportation on the on the uh you know on the uh, direction of the minister of transportation it's got it's got nothing to do with the police these are these are privileges that you are granted in ontario you have the privilege to drive a car in ontario we give you the privilege of driving a car you have to be licensed you have to follow the rules you can't you shouldn't be using your car uh to you know prevent people from living their lives in ottawa to try to have the government uh, change a policy that you don't like—that's not what—that's not what you're licensed for, and what your vehicle is for. Um, so I do think that there's an opportunity here, and, and Doug Ford should should take that opportunity. What he about look the, at that opportunity? What about the prime minister's performance on this? Uh, well, I, I'm I'm really shocked. All the way around, I'm shocked, Libby, and I think a lot of Canadians and Ontarians are. Uh, granted, and I don't disagree that people are frustrated from one end of the country to the other. Uh, they're exhausted. People have worked really, really hard. The vast majority of Canadians have uh, have listened to the science. Uh, they've done their part. Uh, they've understood that uh, that it takes all of us to to protect the most vulnerable amongst us. It takes all of us to work in unison against a pandemic uh, to protect our precarious healthcare system. Uh, I think people got that and they stepped up to the plate. The vast majority did. Um, that's I think that's what what has made people tired. I think they're they are tired though. I, I don't. I don't, um, at, for one minute, think that that's not the case. But this is not how you address that exhaustion. You you go the last mile because Omicron is on its way out. We all know that. Let's go the last mile. Let's be able to take the victory lap. You don't do that by suddenly ignoring science and by suddenly saying, well, all of the things that we've done so far that worked, um, they we're just going to go backwards now because we're tired. Uh, this is when... You know, this is when the rubber hits the road. We we have to go the last mile, and um, and and that's, you know, that's frustrating for folks, but it needs to happen. And 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 this debacle that's happening on uh, on our uh, on the steps of our our parliament, uh, on the steps of government, our, our Canadian government is um, is really troubling. I I just find it I find it quite shocking and quite troubling. I, and I don't know on what planet 
well, maybe let's put it this way, in what democracy anybody thinks uh, that, that the way you um, change public policy is with violence or with, uh, with taking a, a community hostage, with, um, you know, with this kind of siege that, uh, that's taking place in Ottawa. We can never stand for that kind of thing. We can never stand for that kind of thing. So these folks need to go home, uh, and one way or another they have to go home. Uh, and and, and as, as difficult as they're making life for the, uh, for the people of Ottawa, I mean, they're going to have to get a taste of their own medicine, um, and that's making their life difficult by not allowing them to drive in our province and not allowing them uh, to um, to have uh, commercial vehicle certificates in, in the province of Ontario. We have uh, very little time left. I want to get your take on the uh, report from the Financial Accountability Office. Uh, we saw lower deficits, and uh, he said there was an unexplained shortfall in there, and he thinks... Uh, there will be tax cuts heading into the next election. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, I, I just need to, to say that uh, I'm disgusted by the choices this government has made. Doug Ford has made bad choices all the way along, uh, and, and he's, got, he's going to be making some more big cuts, which is the wrong thing for Ontario. How he can look at himself in the face and be happy about, uh, about a, a reduced deficit while over 4,300 seniors died in long-term care. Well, we have a nursing shortage that'll take us years to overcome because the, the people on the front lines, nurses and PSWs, are feeling disrespected by their government. Well, we have families terrified about sending their kids to school because there's no access to information or testing, and the government didn't do what it needed to do to make those schools safe. Uh, there's no victory in that. And Doug Ford might want to pat himself on the back, uh, but I don't know how he can carry the weight of the decisions he's made on his back, knowing that literally people lost their lives. People of all ages lost their lives because the government didn't want to spend the money. And now he's going to parade around uh, with some uh, deficit number that, that he thinks is important. What's important is people's lives. What's important is our health care system, our kids' education. Those things are important. Doug Ford does, you know, he might see the, the, the cost of everything, but he doesn't see the value of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've said, though, that they aren't going to cut the health budget. Do you think they, uh, they actually are? They were cutting public health before we started. Before the pandemic came, they were public. They were cutting public health. They cut the inspections in long-term care before the pandemic started. Well, you and I don't need to talk about long-term care. You and I have had that conversation many times. They've reinstated uh, the inspections, apparently. Well, you know, but they're not getting the profits out of long-term care, which they need to do. They're not shoring up the PSWs and giving them decent, uh, decent work uh, and, and give, giving them decent pay. They're waiting till 2026 before they even get to a, a anywhere near a four-hour standard of care, and it's not uh, not for everyone. It's just an average standard of care across the, across the system. That's just not good enough. Our seniors deserve the best, uh, and we're, they're not getting it from this government. Okay. On that note, uh, we're out of time. Andrea Horvath, thank you so much for being with us, and let's talk again soon. Thank you, Libby. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. Again, if you couldn't get through, Free For All Friday is coming up. And who knows, we may be talking about the same stuff again tomorrow. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.